Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There's tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Preset Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study on the book of 2 Peter. Hello everyone, it's Mark Sheldrake here, another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast, 2 Peter, episode 4. Looking forward to digging into the text this week. Thank you for uh, continuing to pray for the ministry and give to the ministry financially as well as be a part of our online training and online classes. Check out our website for more information on how you can partner with the ministry in many different areas and make sure, uh, above all else, that you do get involved in our training workshops. Phenomenal training workshops led by great trainers. And so uh, hopefully there will be something coming up soon in a time slot that you can participate in. Let's pray and then let's get into the word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning, this time. We thank you for this time that we have uh, together, uh, even in this online platform, to be able to discuss the scriptures. Father, I pray as we walk through the passage today that you would uh, guide us and direct us, that your Holy Spirit would be at work, that uh, we would be uh, encouraged, challenged, uplifted, uh, and know you better uh, through this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, before we start uh, this uh, podcast, of course, into Second uh, Peter chapter 2, I uh, just want to let you know that if you've been following uh, along with us, we, we've missed a week uh, in our episodes. We usually uh, launch them bi-weekly, but we missed uh, one of those rotations and uh, missed it because of uh, COVID-19, which is obviously something that's on all of our minds over the last uh, year. It's been almost a year, well it has been a year by time this airs that that we've been in different lockdowns and one year uh, since the state of emergency pronounced here in Ontario and uh, lockdowns began. Well just to give you um, an update, uh, a number of people have been emailing me over the last a uh, few weeks as well, uh, just concerned about our family. Our family uh, all had uh, COVID-19. We um, were de- have been dealing with that for the last 14 days, still dealing with it now uh, in my wife and I, but my kids are, are okay. So quick, quick update on that is we were um, getting, I was getting ready to preach at a church on uh, February uh, at the end of February, and uh, I woke up on the Saturday morning. and wasn't feeling well, f- feeling very well, so I thought, you know, I'm not going to probably pass the protocols that this church is having, so maybe I'll feel better the, on Sunday morning. So on Saturday, I'll record the sermon, and when I record the sermon, I'll send it to them, but if I can't make it on Sunday, they can, they can uh, play the video, uh, because they were doing a live stream service anyway, and uh, they can use that video, and uh, that can be the fallback. So I was so thankful that uh, I used, um, you know, my common sense. I guess is I just used uh, the 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 protocols that we have at Precept. I used the protocols. And um, realized, you know, if you can't, if you're not feeling well, don't 
don't go out. And so I didn't go out and uh, found out on the Sunday that one of our staff members tested positive for COVID-19, went and got my test on Sunday, test came back on Monday, positive for COVID-19. And I have to tell you folks, I want to just, you know, put this out there in the airwaves, okay? So uh, we, we do need to take this, this virus seriously. We do need to take uh, what's happening. There's so much out there about uh, whether this thing is a hoax or whether it's government oppression and gospel oppression and all of these different things. And after walking through uh, what I've walked through in the last 14 uh, days or so and a little bit more now, is that this is not about gospel oppression. This is not about government overreach. This is about sheer protection of individuals so they don't get the virus. Uh, I tested positive, and within one day, my wife went down. The next day, my son went down. And the day following that, my daughter went down. It was that quick. There wasn't even opportunity because we didn't know we had the virus for us to properly isolate before it came into the next individual within the family. I was in my room. I was all by myself. I was doing my thing. But it didn't matter because we are already into that contagious stage. And that's what we're seeing all over the place is uh, you're contagious before you know you have it. But uh, super sick over 14 days, got to tell you. But thank you for uh, sending the messages to us and praying for us. And I learned that there are a ton of nurses in precept. There are a number of nurses, and I am so thankful for every one of them. All the tips that they gave us. We had one couple who would check in with us every single day to make sure we were doing okay by text message. And uh, what a blessing that is to have people who, who uh, care and pray and uh, want to take care of you because you can't go out. People got to drop everything off. I told uh, some folks, you feel like a leper? who's been put outside the camp waiting for the priest to tell you you can come back in and be a part of the fold. So we're, we're beyond the uh, most difficult points of that now, but uh, I got to tell you, I'm praying that we'll be able to get through this podcast this week because of uh, just dealing with fatigue in my, you can feel it in my voice, can feel it in my lungs still, but uh, we must we must continue on with Second Peter because this message of Second Peter that we're going to be looking at today is vital for the time that we are living in. Absolutely uh, so important. Well, Mark, you say that all the time. No, this is reality. This is really, really important for us in our culture today. All right, let me give you a quick, quick backup, you know, quick reverse because we've uh, it'll be have been a month since we had this uh, third podcast and fourth podcast release. So now, here's where we're at. Uh, the last time we were together on the podcast, we had looked at the doctrine of the Word of God. Why look at the doctrine of the Word of God? Because we need to stand firm on the Scriptures. We need to know that the 66 books of the Bible are the truth of God's Word. We need to know that this is the firm, uh, part of the firm foundation that we can stand on. Why? Because it has the message of the gospel. Jesus is the cornerstone in which we, everything is built upon, and we have his teachings. We have the uh, message of the gospel and the word of God. We need to know that from Genesis to Revelation, everything that's in there is God's word, breathed by himself, that he has given us this not only to know him, but how to live in holiness uh, for him. All right, so that's why we, we did the doctrine of the word of God last week. This week, we're looking at false prophets. Now, I, I can guarantee you this, that we're not going to get through the four points that I have. So this is going to be a two-parter, uh, and we're going to do two points today, two points uh, in our next release and that should bring us to the end of chapter 2. We're going to focus this week on the first 10 verses, covering two main points. And so uh, have your pens ready. If you're driving, you can wait. You can come back and listen later. All right? So don't, don't try and write it down when uh, you've got your hands on the wheel. 
All right, so first, let's look at chapter 2, verse 1, and we're just going to look at the first word. All right, the first word of chapter 2, verse 1 is the word but, which is a contrast. So if you are studying uh, and you want to learn more, we have training workshops, one great one called How to Study a New Testament Letter. This will teach you about contrasts and comparisons, uh, terms of conclusion, and so much more in how to do a chapter study. You can also purchase the book How to Study the Bible by K. Arthur, and you'll see right in there, it'll show you all of the same things about how to study a New Testament letter in contrast comparisons uh, and terms of conclusion and et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so, but is the beginning of chapter two. So you have to go back and we've got to keep going back to uh, chapter one. Chapter one, even though we've already covered it, we need to re review. All right, so we can go all the way back to verse 16. So verse 16 is the beginning of this thought that comes out about these, this word, but. So verse 16 tells us, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when, uh, we, made, uh, when we made known to you uh, Jesus Christ. Okay, so we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is all about uh, Jesus becoming uh, man. So about even about his deity and the work that he did on the cross. Okay, so what Peter's saying is that we, the apostles, these, us who are teachers of uh, Jesus' teaching, of God's word, we didn't make this stuff up, all right? We didn't make up these tales and, and this gospel message that uh, for our own purposes, for our own design. We, uh, it says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So now, that's a really big statement for Peter to make in this because of the very fact that we're going to compare with false prophets. So uh, Peter is saying, look, we didn't make this stuff up. We saw it with our own eyes. And so we have to go back and think about some of the things that he saw with his own eyes. Well, the transfiguration. He saw when God the Father spoke from heaven that this is my son in whom I am well pleased, listen to him. He saw that. He also saw when he ascended into heaven. He also saw Jesus scourged and beaten. That's when he denied him three times. Then after Christ, was, uh, Christ died, after he was buried, and he was resurrected, Peter saw the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. He, he was with him. They were with him over a period of 30 30 or more days, all right? And so we have uh, all of these eyewitness accounts. We also have in the Gospels where Jesus, in his resurrected body, gives Peter restoration from the time of three denials. All right, that's pretty uh, important. That's not cleverly devised tales. That's historical fact. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time, including the apostles. So we have right here, we have, you know, eyewitness account of what's happened. So everything that Peter is sharing, everything that he shared in his first letter, everything he shared with Cornelius in the book of Acts, it's all eyewitness account. He, he has the authority. Christ has sent them out to be witnesses to all the land. Witnesses of what? Of what they saw. So here is Peter bringing this about. And in the time of this uh, letter, there is a lot of false teaching. Remember, they are scattered throughout. They're not in their uh, proper land because of persecution. So we see that in the book of Acts, that there's a lot of persecution happening. So now what you've got is you've got some of these Gentile lands where Peter has brought. And so if you just think back quickly to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, we get these locations. And the locations are Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, uh, Bithynia, and Pontus. So all of these areas uh, have false teaching and they have people who are questioning 
the teaching. But what Peter has done is he's laid out in chapter 1, again, the qualities of living in Christ. Uh, He says that we have everything granted to us pertaining to life godliness through the true knowledge of Jesus. We have everything we need in Jesus. Then we looked at those um, characteristics that lay out, you know, these are the things that show you're a true Christian. Then he says, be assured, make sure of your salvation. Then he talked about how he was an eyewitness. And then he also, that we looked at when we studied the doctrine of the word of God, we also see that he talks about the prophetic word being made more sure. So even the words of the prophets were sure because they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So what we looked at last week is that you, you can be assured that God's word is true. So now, when he says that what he's bringing is not made up, we're eyewitnesses, you can take that to the bank, people. You can take it to the bank that God's word is true, that we have eyewitness account to prophecy fulfilled in God's word. These things are the things that you can count on. You can die on the sword of God's word and knowing it's true. But then in chapter 2, verse 1, you have but. And and that's where Peter is now going to show us the complete opposite, the complete contrast to that what is sure. He's going to show you that what is not. All right, and so listen to what he says. Okay, he says, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality because of them. Uh, The way of the truth has been maligned, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Uh, Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. All right, so now, before we dig into these first three verses, uh, the, the overall application, let me give you the overall application from a 10,000-foot view, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Okay, so listen uh, to this as we walk through. In the inductive method, uh, a part of observation is marking key words. Those key words are repeated words within the text that if you took out those key words the entire text would fall apart and lose its meaning. There's a key word in chapter 2, and it goes well down to verse 12, which we're not going to get to this week. But you can see that it's repeated, and it begins to repeat all the way through to the end of chapter 3. So just listen to this for a minute, okay? Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Introduce destructive heresies. It also says that they will bring about destruction upon themselves. Verse 3 talks about their judgment and then that it's not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Verse 4 says that these angels, they sin but cast them into hell, committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Down in verse 9, it says the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under their punishment for the day of judgment. Verse 11, whereas angels who are greater in might and power not bringing, bring uh, reviling judgment against them. Verse 12, but like unreasoning animals born uh, as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Uh, I don't know, are you getting the repeated word that follows through the entire text? The repeated word is judgment and destruction. They're together. You can, you can mark them because ultimately the judgment leads to destruction for these people. So the, the overall application for last week is you can be uh, assured, okay, you can be made more sure that God's word is true. This week's um, application is that you can be sure of God's 
judgment upon the unrighteous. So what you have here now, Peter has showed you, here are the qualities of Jesus Christ. Here is the word of God that you can count on. And then finally here, you can be sure that God is going to judge his people. And that really is going to be the message that is going to flow all the way now through to the end of chapter 3. But let's look first at the first three verses. All right, so uh, what we would do in the inductive method is we would mark the key people that we want to look at. And in this case, in the first three verses, we would want to look a lot closer at these false prophets, and we would want to write a list. So it talks about false prophets and false teachers, and it tells us where they are, who, what, where, when, why, and how. Who? False prophets and teachers. Where? Among the people, living among the believers. All right, so that's the first thing. And then look what they do. What do they do? They introduce secret, destructive heresies. All right, so they also deny Jesus. And when they do these things, they bring swift destruction upon themselves. So then we ask ourselves, how? You know, or how are they doing this? Well, they're doing it by their sensuality. All right, so we're going to look closer at that. We also uh, see that they malign the truth and they exploit others in their own greed. So the real reason they are doing this is in their greed. All right, so let's continue through verses 1 to 3, and let's just apply a little bit of this together, okay? So, first and foremost, we have these false teachers that secretly introduce destructive heresies. All right, so what we need to think about first is going back to the idea of uh, Satan in the garden with Eve. All right, so here we are. We have Satan at work in the garden with Eve. And I said this on the very first podcast. I said that false teachers and false prophets, they, they don't wear little badges, all right? They don't wear special suits that say, I'm a false teacher. Uh, some false teachers begin to stand out over time because if you study the Word of God and understand the Word of God, you're going to have some red flags raised when, when you hear certain teachings. So they're there, and they're secretly introducing this. In the Garden of Eden, what did Satan do? Satan didn't come out directly and say, Hi, I'm Satan. Uh, I'm here to deceive you. I'm here to bring sin into the world. I, I'm, you know, he didn't know. He said, Let's have a conversation. And the conversation, Eve, is, did God really say that? And you see, this is how it starts. These people, these false teachers that we're going to look closer at now, they are people that are already inside the camp. They're already inside the church. And when they're inside the church, they are... Um, coming in on the basis that they are Christian, that they are followers just like you and I. Their words sound good. Their words will even be truthful, but with every truth, there is something very small that will also be there to lead you astray. Uh, in the book, Another Gospel by Alyssa Childers, which I recommended to you, she talked about how her pastor would preach on a Sunday morning and he would preach powerfully the word of God, but he would go home and he wouldn't believe what he was preaching in the morning. Then he would get a special group of Bible study people together at night and he would ask the question, does the Bible really say that? And so these false teachers, they're doing the same thing. They're bringing in these secretly destructive heresies via conversation. 
they're questioning whether God's word is sure. Is God really, uh, is, did Jesus really uh, resurrect himself? Did he really come back to life? Is God really coming, is Jesus coming back a second time? Is Jesus really the son of God? Let's talk about that a little bit more. So all of these things, what they're doing is they're bringing about um, questions about the deity of Jesus Christ. And when they're doing this, they're refusing to live as obedient followers of Jesus. So their purpose is to take down Christians. And they want to do that for the very purpose of their own greed. All right, and so here's, uh, I want to take you to uh, the book of Jude, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in Jude. But in the book of Jude, which is uh, right before the book of Revelation, verse 4, it says, Certain people crept un- in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turned the grace of God into lic- licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. All right, and so uh, verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities around them, since they in the same way indulged in gross immorality, went after strange flesh and are exhibited as examples of those undergoing punishment. But I really like what it says in um, uh, verse 4, that they are people that crept in unnoticed. Uh, they look like a Christian, they walk like a Christian, they talk like a Christian, but they're not. Uh, Jesus referred to people like this in the gospel, in the gospel of Matthew as uh, sheep in wolves, or wolves in sheep's clothing, sorry. Wolves in sheep's clothing. So here, here we have these people who are, who are in the church, and, and we have this today. We have wolves in sheep clothing today. We have people who are, are teaching uh, a gospel that is not true to the word of God. We have people who are maligning the scriptures. We have people that are uh, twisting and turning or, or using one verse to uh, set their entire doctrine on. Uh, the progressive movement of Christianity. The two, the two books that I gave you uh, as options to read, uh, Another Gospel as well as Saving Christianity by Michael Yusufson. Uh, Alyssa Childers, Another Gospel, Saving Christianity by Michael Yusufson are just two, two examples of many where uh, believers are standing up against this progressive gospel which seems to be really focused on uh, social movement, on the importance of uh, helping others. And, and this is the thing. You see, these truths are in the scriptures. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it talks about the importance of us helping, helping those that are in need. Uh, the Gospel of 1 John talks about how uh, when we see another in need, we are to uh, help out. So, you know, this is the problem: is that this this teaching of the progressive church, and this is only part of it, with the helping of others. It, it sounds so good. It sounds like what the scriptures tell us. It sounds us like what Jesus tells us. And and in this progressive gospel, it's talking about how we need to advocate for those who are oppressed. And you get the you get the battles out of this about about racism and. And those who, even of the LGBT community, who, who need to be advocated for because they are those who have been oppressed by, whether it be oppressed by, by the white man or oppressed by somebody. It's whoever's oppressed needs to be fought for and to bring them up. Which the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus, he, he loves all people. And we are to love all people. And, and we shouldn't have people who are, who are oppressed. But the reality is that the most important part of this 
is that God requires holiness. God requires that all of the love that we have comes out of our heart as the fruit of what Jesus has done in our lives. Jesus sat with the sinners and Jesus preached the gospel to the sinners. We are to do all these things, but they are to be the fruit of what comes out of our lives. It seems that for some in this progressive movement, this is the sole motivation for what they are doing. Because what they are doing is they are questioning the deity of Jesus Christ. They're questioning whether he really was the Son of God. They're questioning whether he really was resurrected. They're questioning, is this 66 books of the Bible truly what God says? And when you start to question all those things, and you still want to do the motivation of loving others and walking along with others and, and speaking for the oppressed, but you don't believe the truth of God's word, that you don't fully believe that Jesus Christ is resurrected, your motivation is all wrong. You see, the gospel tells us that many will do great things in my name. Jesus says that many will do things. They'll feed the homeless. They'll take care of all the less fortunate people. But I didn't know you. That's why all of this stuff is the fruit of what comes out of our love for Jesus Christ. That when we believe the word of God, when we see the commandments that Jesus gave us to love God first and love others, that we take both of those into account. Well, how do we love God? We love his word because we see that in God's word, we learn all about him. So if we begin to make and have these conversations, these destructive conversations about did God really say that, we begin to lead people in a direction that is far away from the gospel. I love in that book, Another Gospel, that Alyssa Childers, she started to, one, have red flags about these teachings, but it didn't come before she began to question whether she was saved. Do you see the problem? That when you start to get believers questioning whether they're truly saved, that there's the potential of these people to, to just walk away from what they believe because of the conversation. That there's the tendency for someone to be disobedient by taking a fruit from the tree they're not supposed to eat from, taking a bite of it, giving it to their, to their husband, he eating it, and all of a sudden, sin is in the world. It all started with a conversation that led to destruction. And so that is the same way here. These people, they, they dress like you in church. They talk like you in church. But their heart is not like yours. Your heart is motivated by your love for Jesus Christ. Their heart is motivated by greed. Their heart is motivated by Satan to bring people down. So look what he says. They introduce destructive heresies. They deny the master. They look at the word of God and they question it. They question his deity. They question a lot. And when they do this, they bring judgment upon themselves. Uh, Peter says, swift destruction. So in verse 2, it says, Many will follow... Uh, their sensuality. Because of them, the way of the, the truth will be maligned. So, so the Greek in uh, this word, and I'm probably going to pronounce it uh, very incorrectly, but uh, asolgia, and that, um, uh, or asolgeia. So we have this idea that uh, it comes as unbridled lust or um, to, you know, live in shame. Let me give you this in the simplest terms. Uh, people will want to live by their senses. They'll want to live by what feels good. All right, so uh, the false teachers will, will teach things like, hey, could you imagine, imagine for a moment that somebody begins to question, is God really going to judge sin? Or 
How can a loving God destroy his creation? Can we talk about that? Can we have a conversation about that? Well, what about people that are out there teaching, false teachers now, that are teaching that, that God isn't going to judge at the end? That God isn't going to judge everybody for the way they live? Well, how about teaching a gospel that only involves uh, prosperity? That only good comes from following Jesus Christ? When I was a pastor, I met so many people that had really been led into the church by a false gospel. That when the going got tough for people, when, when people started to suffer for Jesus, you know, Christians doesn't, you know, when they first come to uh, salvation, man, they're on fire. They, they just can't get enough of the word of God. They want to read it. They want to, you know, as I've said in podcasts before, when I was working with teenagers a lot, we would have teenagers who would start burning. They'd have, you know, burning parties and burning all their secular music and getting rid of all these different things. I mean, the passion and the desire in them was absolutely amazing. But then what happened when they started to face persecution? That when, when they went home and they started to tell their family members who were, were atheists or those who did not want to hear anything about the word of God or about God in their house because they had a bad experience with church when they were children, that all of a sudden uh, families are turning against families. And, you know, when you were a teenager and you were in high school and people started to mock you because you were a Christian and you know, I remember in my high, the end of my high school years, I would carry my Bible with me to, to school every day, and I would be reading it at school, and I would get mocked for that. And you start to face all this persecution. And you know what? When you're a teenager, even when you're an adult, it's tough facing that. And sometimes you, you, you just want to give it all up because it's not worth all the temporary pain, right? Well, here, what about these people who have had this false gospel that you're only going to prosper in your Christianity? You're going to be rich. You're going to drive Ferraris. You're going to have yachts. You're going to have houses. You're only going to have blessings that rain down on you every single day. And they fail to remember what Jesus taught in the book of Matthew, that you will be persecuted. You will be hated because of my name. You'll be brought before courts. You'll be scourged. You'll be beaten. All of that stuff what we call front-loaded in the ministry. When you follow me, this is what's going to happen to you. Be ready for it because you're going to be hated because they hate me. And yet, here we have these people who have come into what they believe is a saving grace through the prosperity gospel, and the minute persecution comes upon them, they're gone. It's the same way that when in the book of John, when Jesus was talking about the bread of life, and when they were saying, when he said, when you partake of me, some of those disciples or those followers walked away because they couldn't handle the teaching of that truth. Here, in the same way that these people are going to teach only what's good to the senses, what makes them feel good. But then when the going gets tough when suffering and persecution like we saw in the book of first peter these people don't walk through the fire they they just go away uh, this idea goes all the way back to the parable of the sower that some seed that is laid that plantains and begins to to uh, rise up but the scorching sun burns it all away this, this is not new, folks. This, this idea of, of preaching this easy gospel is not new, and it's not something that came. The, the unbelievable part, uh, too, is what I loved about Michael Yusufson's book is he said that people think that progressive Christianity is new, that what they're doing right now is something new, this new teaching that's leading thousands of people towards Jesus is something new. And in the very fact, it's old. It's very old. Like we're talking three-digit old in the calendar. I can go on my Facebook and I can see some 
Some of the youth group kids that I've had over the years have become pastors uh, in churches that fully support parts of the modern-day lifestyle that do not line up to the Word of God. And I think to myself, that's not the gospel that I preach to you. That's not the Word of God that I preach to you. At what point did somebody infiltrate your mind to cause you to believe that these principles that are being worshipped in the world today are godly principles that are of the Word of God? Well, why do we do it? Well, they feel good. feels good to accept everybody. feels good to, to, to be a part of everything that's going on. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't love every person in this world. I think we should, but we should not celebrate the sin. God doesn't celebrate the sin. I just finished teaching through the book of Ezekiel. And just looking at the book of Ezekiel, and how in the third temple, in the future millennium temple that's going to be in place, there's still a path and a place for holiness where anything unholy cannot enter the temple grounds. That going all the way back to Leviticus, God shows us a way to approach a holy God. So as we are to bring everybody in this world to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we're not supposed to celebrate sin. And here, we, we're celebrating things of the culture because people are now following after teachers who just teach what feels good. I remember, uh, and then we'll continue on into the next point, I remember... Uh, a gentleman coming up to me after church one Sunday. And normally, you know, on Sundays, pastors get a lot of good sermon, pastor, good sermon, pastor. Back in the, back in the day when you could shake hands, folks. Remember back those, remember those days? Well, now you'd have somebody come up and shake your hand and they'd say, good, good uh, message. So this man came up, shook my hand, and he says, man, why are you always preaching these fire and brimstone messages? Why are you always preaching that your, your heart needs to be uh, one that pursues God or you're going to face judgment? And I just simply looked at him and I said, why does that make you uncomfortable? And he said, well, because it's making me feel bad for the way that I'm living. My response to him was, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is grabbing at your heart. The Holy Spirit is showing you in your life where you need to be better. So you look at me and you think to yourself, oh, he's, he's, he's preaching down on me. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is working in your heart. He's showing you things that you need to change. And this is really uncomfortable because there are things in your life that need to change. Uh, preaching, preaching the word of God. This, this whole section here is being sure of God's judgment. All right, so we're gonna, we got to keep moving here. We're going to run out of time. All right, so uh, they do this for their greed. They exploit with false words. And their judgment that is from long ago is not idle. So they are going to be judged. God is going to judge the false teachers, just like he did with Hananiah in the book of Jeremiah. You teach falsely, you prophesy wrong, you die. The result is that they will be destroyed for leading the sheep astray. Now, in verses 4 to 10, uh, we're going to get a number of examples, uh, Old Testament examples of those who faced judgment. Okay, so now uh, we're going to look at this first one, which is quite controversial. For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. All right, so let's look at these angels first. 
So the first thing we're going to look at is the discussion of these angels. Now, it says in the pit of darkness reserved for hell. So what, what is believed historically is that Hades was a place where uh, souls went, but low below Hades would be uh, the, the worst of the place for the worst of the worst, the place where those uh, like demons and angels would go. The, um, the pigs, uh, the demons that went into the pigs, they, they pleaded with Jesus to not send them to this same pit that these angels went to. So back to the book of Jude, uh, really quickly. And in the book of Jude, it talks about these angels in verse 6. It says, The angels did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. And he has kept them in eternal bonds under darkness for judgment of the great day. And it talks about these angels again in Job chapter 1. In Job chapter 1, there's a conversation between God and Satan. But it says, now there was a day, verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And then God says to Satan, where did you come from? He says, uh, I came from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. So what we see here from the book of Job is that we see, one, the angels and Satan had the ability to travel between earth and heaven. So they're in, in heaven in this conversation, having uh, this uh, discussion about what they were doing on earth, most likely reporting back the work that they were doing for the Lord uh, while they were on earth. Satan, too, but he's reporting that he's trying to make people fall. He's prowling around like a lion, waiting to pounce. So now, take a look quickly at Genesis chapter 6. So in Genesis chapter 6, we're going to uh, quickly walk through this just so we don't uh, keep you all day. All right, it says, Now it came about when men began to multiply, verse 1, on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whoever they chose. Uh, then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with them forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. Uh, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. Also afterward, the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those who were mighty men, uh, and men of old. Verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry he had made them, um, made man on the earth, and he was greatly grieved in his heart. Okay, so uh, there's a lot happening in this verse. Go back and these verses, go back and study the book of Genesis. But for our purposes, we have the sons of God, the same reference, okay? So Jude tells us the angels left their, uh, abandoned their proper abode, and uh, they did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. And then God put them in eternal bonds into that pit. All right, so now what we have here is we have in Genesis chapter 6 what most believe is the event that is being referred to by Peter as well as uh, Jude, all right? So the event is that these angels who, according to Jude, had the ability to go between heaven and earth and report back to God what they were doing. They were messengers of God doing God's work. But when they went to earth, they followed after their own lusts, and they decided to put themselves together with women who lived on the earth and eventually had children with these women. And so what you see here is the, the result, and here's God's judgment. God judged these people, these angels, and he put them in the pits of hell because they chose a corrupt earth, and he, they chose to, to lay with women instead of heaven. They, they chose to leave the presence of God for that of earth. And God says, that they are judged for that. Uh, chapter 6 is very interesting in Genesis, and, and not to go on too much of a rabbit trail here, but I believe that God 
is a God that interacts with his people. That God is not just sitting at a distance, staring at his eternal watch, waiting for that ultimate moment for destruction to occur. That God continuously interacts. And if he didn't interact with his creation, he wouldn't have sent prophets with a message of repent and return or I'm going to judge. If he didn't interact with his creation, his son would not have come in full uh, in, into humanity and be put on a cross to be, to be buried and then resurrect for the forgiveness of sins. If he wasn't a God who didn't interact with his creation, he wouldn't have put a sacrificial system in place in a way to approach a holy God. So all of these things, God is simply one. There's one purpose that God has, and his sole purpose is to get your heart in full-on pursuit of him. There's nothing more. God wants all the worship. God wants all the glory. God is a jealous God, and he does not want his creation to pursue anything but him. And when people decide that they're going to pursue something else, God will judge that. That if they deny Jesus, that if they deny the master, they deny God, they deny his teachings, you're going to face the judgment that is before. The unrighteous will be judged. All right, so what we have here is we have this destruction. Now, God, because he looks at the heart of man, it says in Genesis chapter 6 that as he looked at the heart of man, that there was nothing good that every intent of the thought of his heart was evil continually, all right? Every thought was lust. Every thought was pride. Every thought was self. Every thought was greed. Every thought was idolatry. Every thought was not of God and his glory, but it was every thought was that of the power of the prince of the air and darkness, And so God said, that's it. I'm judging creation because their hearts are not after me. But God spared eight people. And Peter tells us about those eight people that God spared. He spared Noah and his family. And that's the second example, is that Noah built an ark. You see, God saw, and that's why I think it was the last straw. I think it was the last straw because these angels who had the ability to be in the presence of God chose earth over God. And so here, uh, Noah is the next example of the destruction that comes because every evil intent of the heart. Then we have the next Uh, example, the third example that comes in verse 6 is that of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was uh, a location following after their own sensuality. You can read about Sodom and Gomorrah uh, in, in the book of Genesis. And so in Genesis verses 11, uh, chapters uh, 11 to 13, uh, and then 14, And chapter 19 will tell you all about the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. But here you had messengers of God in Sodom and Gomorrah, and you had men who were banging down the doors because they wanted to lay with these messengers of God. Uh, Sexual sin was prevalent in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God saw, and Abraham pleaded that if there was any righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, that he would spare the land. But God saw no righteousness in Sodom and Gomorrah other than Lot. The Bible tells us that Lot, he was one who lived righteously in an ungodly culture. Okay, listen to this. It says, And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 6 of Second Peter, Uh, to be destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives and thereafter. He rescued righteous Lot, who was oppressed by sensual conduct of unprincipled men. For by what he saw, he had heard that righteous men, while living among them, 
felt his righteous soul tormented day by day by their lawless deeds. Uh, Lot was living in a culture that where everybody was following after what they thought was good, what felt good. Sexual sin felt good. Uh, greed felt good. Whatever was happening in that land, God looked at that and he had to destroy it. But Lot was living in the midst of that as a righteous man and his soul was tormented by the very fact that all of that sin and corruption was around them. What about you? Are you looking at our culture today? Are you seeing the worship of sexual sin in the media, on the internet, everywhere you go? You can't turn away from anything that's on television that doesn't involve the celebration of sexual sin. Uh, just in the, in the last year, I, I, I've said this a number of times, I've committed to, to watching or to uh, reading a book a week through um, uh, the year. I just uh, finished the five-book series by uh, uh, Joel Rosenberg, The Last, the Last Jihad. Uh, man, if you, if you want a good fiction series to read, grab those books. They're, they're from the early 2000s, but man, they are so good. And the, there's one called the Ezekiel Option that lined up just perfectly with my studying of Ezekiel. Keep in mind, they're, they're not biblical. They are uh, written with a biblical uh, scope and the gospel messages in them, but they aren't the truth of the doctrine of what's happening in the book of Ezekiel. All right, so uh, they're much like those left-behind books of old, but too many people put their theology in, in the left-behind books. All right, so now let's look at uh, uh, this, okay? So here's Lot. He's living in this land, and he's, he's tormented by the sin that's around him. This is what you and I need to be. You and I need to be tormented by the sin that's around us. We need to look around and see all of this, this uh, trash being worshipped, all of this garbage in the world, this, this feel-good stuff. You know, all of that, we need to line it up to the word of God, and we need to, <clears throat> one, be burdened by it, two, we need to pray, because even though we have the ability to make a difference by sharing the gospel with others, ultimately Jesus needs to come and wipe all of that away that it's only going to get worse. Lawlessness is going to increase, but we need, to, we need Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Rend the heavens and come down. It all needs to be destroyed for the setup of the new heaven and the new earth. But our hearts need to be tormented by that. We need to be burdened by the very fact that we're in a culture that worships sin. It hurts me. It hurts me to see, especially in the church, as the church, some churches and their leaders are moving away from preaching the truth of God's word for what feels good. They're leading their sheep astray. It's awful. It's painful. I mean, I love the word of God so much. I just want people to see the word of God for what it is and live it out. Be ready. Be alert. Jesus is coming, people. But here we're, we're in a world that, oh man, don't, don't be preaching those fire and brimstone messages because, uh, you know, I don't want you to talk about God's judgment. That does, doesn't make me feel good. Well, it doesn't matter if it makes you feel good or not. It's the truth. So you need to be ready. So God, God uh, rescues Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. God, Lot was so obedient to God that when God, when God said, leave Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to destroy it through his messengers. And don't look back. Lot never looked back. His wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. She was disobedient. But God saved Lot. And then we have uh, the example. Okay, so we have the example of the angels leaving their proper abode. We have the example of Noah and the judgment that comes uh, because of unrighteousness in his time. We have Sodom and Gomorrah. We have the example of Lot being rescued from the oppressed generation. Uh, 
And then in verse 9, it says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble and they do not revile. Well, we're going to pick up the daring uh, part on the next episode. God knows how to rescue the godly. That's important for us to remember in the hope that comes out of all of this. Is that the promise for those who are righteous is eternity in heaven. Although we have to live in this corrupt world and everything that's going on now and all this false teaching and these false prophecies, all of that, but in the future, God knows how to rescue us. We will be rescued from the day of judgment. How? Look at chapter 1. Go back to the qualities and see these qualities that come from living after Jesus. All right, so uh, just to close out here, let me give you the two points that are covered, all right? Made more sure. Made more sure that God will judge the unrighteous is the overall theme. The first point, all right, comes from verses 1 to 3. So draw a bracket if you've got your Bible at verses 1 to 3. And we've already talked about this, but I just want to summarize it for you. In verses 1 to 3, deception. Uh, these false teachers are deceptive in their infiltration. So they are deceptive in their, inf- they're deceptive in their infiltration of the camp. All right, they, they come in unnoticed. The second is from verses 10 really to verse 17, which we're going to pick up on the next time. From verse 10 down to 17, uh, they're doomed by their sin. So they're, the judgment, so verse 4, really, all the way down to verse 17, talks about how the false teachers will be doomed by their sin. That judgment is coming for the ungodly. And so you and I, here's, here's, here's some practicals that we need to do. Number one, we need to pray for our country. We need to pray for Canada. We need to pray that God's will would be done, that he would be glorified, that sin would not be celebrated in this country. Number two, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction upon believers or those who think they are believers. That they would get a greater hunger for God's word. There's a testimony of one of the guys who works down in Chattanooga. Jeremy Lucarelli, fantastic guy. Attended boot camp when he was young. Went to boot camp and thought he was a Christian. This is the teen camp that they have in the summers. He studied the book of 1 John and quickly realized that he wasn't saved. You see, when you get into the Word of God and you study the Word of God, you're going to realize that your life does not line up and that you want to be changed and transformed. So we need to pray that those who are in the pews in the churches or in their homes right now, wherever it is, that, that God's Word by His Spirit convicts and shows people to truly follow after Him. Don't be one of these people who are deceived by the false gospel. Live out the truth of chapter 1. Number three, we need to take the truth of God's word to whoever will listen. Be bold. Be courageous. Take these truths. Yes, they're fire and brimstone messages. Yes, they're, they're things that are very uncomfortable to talk about. But we're talking about life and death. Uh, just to wrap up, you know, when, when I got the diagnosis of COVID and I just I was so angry and here's why I was so angry. So angry because I just got over pneumonia. And in the pneumonia, I was having difficulties breathing. And uh, I remember when I was having pneumonia and I was in the hospital, I was thinking to myself, God, my work is not done. I don't feel like I've accomplished what I need to accomplish. So you need to spare my life so I can keep going. And then I got COVID. And, you know... I started to get some of the same breathing problems, but I was so thankful that I had all the medicine and the inhalers in my house to help me uh, keep my lungs open and not to get overly infected with this virus. But when I would lay on my back, and it's still similar to that now, 
it felt like somebody was just standing on my chest, that my, my lungs could not fully go in and out. And I'm not telling you this to, to, to scare you, but it again reminded me of the, the urgency, the, the preciousness of life, and what you do with it in the time that you have. You know, uh, hundreds of thousands of people uh, are getting COVID-19, and they don't realize that, you know, this is such a serious thing that not everybody gets the same symptoms. People who have underlying uh, health concerns, they, they seem to, to get it worse. People who have asthma as well. So we know that God can take us at any time. He's the one who knows the days that we will spend on this earth. Well, how do you want to spend them? You know, you want to spend them celebrating and worshiping sin, or do you want to celebrate and the fact that we're plundering hell and populating heaven? These are the things that we need to think about. There's urgency in the gospel today, and you need to be sharing it. Pray for courage and boldness to do so. Uh, next episode, we'll take out the last two points on these false teachers, and uh, we'll see where the Lord is going to take us. Father, we thank you. We pray. We pray, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for the truth of the word. I thank you that we can be challenged, that we can be convicted by your spirit. Help us to follow after you. Give us courage and boldness. Father, we need a transformation not only in Canada, but we need it around the world. We need you. Sin is like that little froth that's at the top of the glass, Lord. It's so visible and it really seems like it's overtaking the entire world. And so we need to see you at work. We need to see you at work in our lives and in the lives of others. Continue to give us hope. Help us to see you at work in our country. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website at www.presetministries.ca.